0: Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Barthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Never a dull week uh, these days in college football news. We have a lot to to catch up on, Robbie. Uh, Why don't you give us a cheers and get us kicked off?
1: Well, we're a few weeks away. It would be even closer if it was not for the postponed NC State game. So how about cheers to kicking off the season... Uh, when trying to get the cup back the commonwealth cup back in the uh in blacksburg and yeah, man, i'm uh, pumped about that yeah it's crazy you know starting the season on you know arguably one of our our biggest games uh and uh, it will be exciting so we're getting close college football has already been played it was a uh thrilling austin p game uh but uh, <laughs> yeah yeah i found i found out there. uh their long snapper had a covid, so um, yes right. so that was part of the problem in case uh, it was a big problem
0: <laughs> yes cheers. so,
1: but uh cheers to uh to uh, to games coming and and the UVA game coming up
0: Cheers, buddy yes, the NC state game was postponed maybe hours after or just before I posted our podcast, so there you go uh but we we had kind of prep for that. Um, so that means ten straight games for Virginia Tech this year. Uh, we'll see about that. That's the schedule currently. We'll see if one of those games gets moved into that Thanksgiving bye week because of COVID or who knows what else. But for now, we do start with UVA, uh, which is kind. Of, it's cool in a in a bunch of different ways, but one of the coolest ways is say the season just gets like canceled after the first week or second week, like at least. We had a chance to get the cup back.
1: That's right. That is that, and, and that's that's the key. I mean, uh, right. Like, I would honestly
0: just playing the UVA game, like watching it and winning. Like I would honestly be good with everything that we had going on these last six months. If I can just watch us win the UVA game and they didn't play another game, I'd probably be all right.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd be a little disappointed, but I would be all right. And ten games in a row is not happening. I mean. We couldn't even get the first game in. <laughs> right, bad sign. <laughs> so, so that's not a not a great sign. But yeah, ten in a row is a uh, it's a brutal stretch with what's going on right now. Some other news and notes: they
0: announced that we can do fan cutouts in Lane Stadium. A lot of people have probably been seeing that with baseball. You'll see stadiums full of ten thousand or twenty thousand cutouts, and usually that's to raise money for a charity. In this case, it's part of the Keep Jumping campaign to raise money for. Football and the athletic department, um, and in addition, I wanted to know you. You sent us a picture of a thank you note you got from Justin Fuente himself.
1: Yeah, so it, by all, by my eye, it was actually signed by him. So I got it. I got it hanging up. Uh, thank you for the donation. I couldn't tell because I made my decision. I put it. I sent him an email because they asked me to send him an email, and then I got a call saying I hadn't made my choice like two days before the deadline. So I called him. And then I got the letter two days later, maybe. It was quick. Somehow, yeah. like there. So, um, I don't know if they were just sending it because I hadn't made my best decision. I don't know if everybody got that. I don't know if it was just for, you know. I saw some con- other
0: people post a picture of it to Twitter. So I yeah. know if you kept jumping and maybe if you're a certain level, like you got that thank you note.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I guess. It, but it was, it was a nice was touch. Nice. Yeah, it was a nice touch. I, I sent you guys a picture of it. So, yeah. Um, It looks signed by him. Usually you can tell when it's just like the printed version, but if it's the printed version, then they did a pretty good job.
0: Right. The other kind of bad news we got is there is no fans in the stadium, as we already know, just a 1,000 fans, but there's also going to be no tailgating, which you know tech fans would have gone down to tailgate and maybe sit outside at one of the restaurants, and now even that's squashed, which is a little disappointing.
1: Yeah, I don't uh, I don't really understand that. I mean, it, it, I guess it would cause a lot of problems trying to keep, you know, can't have a certain number of people. I forget what it is in Virginia and the local ordinances of having, you know, that many people together. But I feel like there wouldn't be that many people tailgating to the point where you could spread people out across all different areas and then have pockets of, you know, six to ten people everybody's outside you could social distance i don't i guess it wouldn't be a full
0: tailgate but i think for some of the bigger games you could get 33 percent of a normal tailgate maybe even half of a normal tailgate
1: yeah so i I don't know it's a bummer yeah it's probably also just one more thing that they just don't a headache that they don't want to have to monitor like you know if, if too many people congregate in an area having to enforce them splitting up and And what about the
0: player walk, you know, the hokey walk when they go into the stadium? Like, will there be too big of a crowd around the players? You know, it does create issues. And the last news and note I had was Raheem Blackshear is cleared to play football. At least that's what the reports are today. I didn't see a definitive, definitive thing like from the NCAA, but all the beat writers and reporters were saying uh, it looks like he won his appeal. And will be able to play for Virginia Tech, which I, I tweeted something out right after I saw the news. Like the offense could be really good this year. Uh, we've heard about him that he could potentially be the best skill player we have on the team, and the combination of him and Herbert um, just make us very versatile.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it, you know, it's too bad that we had to go through an appeal to get there, but at least one thing has gone. To the you know for the hokies as opposed to against it throughout all of these waiver processes and appeal processes so i'm happy awesome to have him, love the depth love the versatility we talked about you know where he could fit in whether it's mm-hmm. running back in the slot uh, i think it gives us a lot of uh, options and um you know i'm happy for him it, it's it's nice to and happy for the team to have something positive uh, pop on one of these waiver requests that have not gone our way. Lately, or yeah. really at all.
0: <laughs> just to expand on, on his role, um, yeah, the slot, absolutely. Jet sweeps, like, we've used Tavion and Trey in the jet sweep game, and that just puts them at a tremendous amount of risk. Blackshear is a thicker player. He's more of a running back, and that frees up those guys to not have to put their body at risk so they can return kicks or do whatever else. And potentially, if you play Blackshear in the slot, then maybe you can move Tavion around some more, too, and do more creative things with him. So it's just such a boon for this offense to finally, and this team, just finally something went right for us. (laughs) Yes, finally. And it took an appeal to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Let's take a a quick time out to mention our sponsor, Downtown Crown Wine and Beer in Gaithersburg and Dominion Wine and Beer in Falls Church. We talked about them last week. They have agreed to sponsor the podcast for the season. We couldn't be more excited about it. Downtown Crown is an awesome beer and wine store. It's right where 270 and 370 meet in Gaithersburg, and Downtown Crown's actually the name of the shopping center there. Uh Arash, my buddy and his brother run the two stores, Dominion's down on Falls Church just past 7 Corners on Broad, and they have curbside pickup, online order You need to follow them on Instagram too. I think that's the biggest thing I love about those two stores is they put so much of their products on social media to allow you to get excited about them or just know what they have in the store. And even though I don't live in that area, like I'll sometimes make a point to send a Rosh message like, oh, that looks good. Or like, I got to get down and get some of that. It's it's a great tool for just uh, seeing the wide variety of stuff they have.
1: Yeah, and I forgot to mention this the last time we talked about it, but I went there a few times with my wife, and we got food, and we got a few different things, but one of the things that stood out, I think I got the dragon shrimp there, and it was amazing. So it's not just the beer, uh, not just the wine, uh, the food was excellent there, in the Falls Church uh, location as well, so... Uh, that was a, that was a nice surprise because I was going there for the booze, uh, and right. the selection and, uh, to have that on top, it was, uh, was even better. So yeah, definitely check it out.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing you, I don't want to pigeonhole them as just a, a beer and wine store. They are a bar and restaurant. Like they, it's a, it's a great place to hang out. They have big outdoor setups at, at both locations and you can get crawlers as well. So Make sure to hit up Downtown Crown and Dominion Wine and Beer for all your Northern Virginia and DMV needs uh, when it comes to beer and wine. Uh, Downtowncrownwine.com is the website for that one and dominionwineandbeerstore.com. If you just Google them, the websites come right up and you can do all your online ordering right there. They also have – Arash actually sent me a picture of this last night. Coors Light is making a seltzer because everyone is making a seltzer. It's coming out soon and they have like every kind of seltzer at these at these two places as well and that's the new the new thing that everyone's doing is the I mean it's unbelievable how many there are it's actually kind of overwhelming but
1: uh the, both those stores have you covered yeah. the, any any seltzer that you need if you're going uh yeah, hey, if you're trying to go locale, it's it's the way to go yeah
0: man most of them taste really good <laughs> i'm not going to lie the last little nugget i just wanted to talk about uh, we we went over the preseason rankings last time But uh, the Athletic put out their top 76 for the best 76 teams in college football, the ones that are playing. Um, As of right now, we all saw that Big Ten thing. Who knows if they're going to try to squeak their way into this year. There were some reports about that. But for now, there are 76 teams that are going to play. And uh, in the Athletic's top 76, they put Clemson number one, Notre Dame six, UNC 16, Miami 17, FSU 24, Pitt 25, UVA twenty six. No, you have not heard <laughs> heard us yet. Uh, we are number twenty seven in their in their rankings, um, and there were teams like SMU and App State ahead of us. Uh, and I like the athletic a lot. I, I enjoy reading Andy Bitter stuff. They've got you know great content across all sports and lots of different college football teams. And I respect Stu Mandel a ton, but I couldn't. It was it's hard to um, to understand why we're coming in so much lower. On that, than we are in the FPI or Athlon or Pick Six Massey Composite. You name it, we are in the teens in just about every other ranking, but we're twenty six, twenty seven to the Athletics. So, um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I don't understand it. I mean, maybe they thought that. <laughs> Caleb Farley himself was worth ten spots to, to push us <laughs> uh, back. It is the only thing I can come up with. I, I, I don't understand us being behind. You know, Pitt and okay, there is a little bit of hype now with Miami, UNC. We knew where they were going to be. It, it just doesn't make a it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, quite no. quite honestly
0: the S P plus i uh i went through that and just looked at where we came in when you took out the teams that aren't playing and we're 20th in that so that was the second lowest second lowest ranking for us the highest ranking was the fpi which has us at 14th of the teams that are playing so it's funny that those two like advanced metrics sp plus and fpi are also like very far apart and it is is relative it's 14 and 20 but In a year when there's many fewer teams, that's actually a pretty big jump. Yep. Okay, let's talk about the defense. In 2019, our defense, they took a a big step up from 2018. We were 115th in yards per play in 2018, if you can believe that. And last year, we jumped up to 36. So that's an 80 spot jump in the yards per play rankings. And we were still an extremely young defense. We're bringing back a lot of production. In fact, Today or yesterday, Bill C put out the updated returning production metrics, and he had us at number eight. Garbett wasn't factored into that, uh, and he even replied to my tweet and confirmed that Garbett was factored in as being a part of the defense. So you'd have to bring that number eight back a little, but it was still uh, still amazing to be in the top ten, considering we lost, you know, our leading rusher one of our best tight ends and on and on. Um, I was pleased to see how much production we're still bringing back.
1: Yeah, there's, there is a lot coming back and with a extra season of eligibility, uh, it seems like it will continue to be that way um, depending on how people perform this, uh, this season and and who decides to make, make moves and and move on with their career. But it's exciting for, for this year and, and moving forward.
0: So technically we have eight starters back in 2020. As I said, we're going to miss Garbett to that family issue he's dealing with. We obviously lost Farley, and we lost our only senior on defense, Reggie Floyd. But we're adding what I would consider to be some starting caliber players in Justice Reed, who was sensational at the FCS level. Devin Taylor, also sensational at the F- FCS level, both all-American kind of players at that level. And Devin Hunter, who had to start a few games for us, so... I guess by definition he is starting caliber. So <laughs> in a way if those Reed and Taylor can find their way in this defense, you know, we we could be bringing back, you know, almost 11 starters, like almost all 11 positions. It's it's not exactly the same cuz you know those guys are going up a level in competition, but long story short, we're bringing back a ton of guys who've played a lot of football.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's Taylor and Reed it's you know if you had the system in place if bud was still here and we were still doing the same old thing it's hard to think of whether them coming in and having to get up to speed whether they're on the same you know relatively same footing as everybody else trying to learn a new system the new way that you know we're going about the defense um as opposed to people coming back already kind of knowing what bud's going to be running knowing what the the schemes going to look like um and having a leg up on them so uh, they have a lot to digest in a short amount of time, but quite honestly, I think everybody does on the defensive side of the ball
0: just to round out the the things to to get us started. eight of nine of our top tacklers are back, and eleven out of the top thirteen so that that goes to show you the production we 're bringing right there uh, The question is about the coaching staff and whether everything can come together in gel because losing one of the best defensive coordinators in the history of the sport could prove problematic. (laughs) You think so? (laughs) It could, it could, you know, it could rear its ugly head at some point. I will say, and I think you agree with me that fresh eyes and young blood on the defensive staff could mitigate the loss of bud because he was beaten down. You could see it in the way he carried himself there. It just wasn't the same bud the last couple of years. And so he is one of the greats and did a fantastic job and even posted back to back shutouts right at the end of his run. Uh, but I do think a shot of energy could do this defense good.
1: Yeah, it may take it may take some time, and that time may not be this year that time might be a year or two that it takes time to gel. So I think everybody has to be prepared for for that. It may not just be five games that's tough and then we start to figure it out in the, in the back half of the season it, it could be longer than that but you know it's it's a longer term move I mean that's why we went with with Hamilton I think is you know for the future of the defense and what it's going to look like so you have to start somewhere and this isn't the best off season to be starting with what's been going on with COVID and some of the restrictions that have been in place that wouldn't be otherwise in an off season, but you know you got to start at some point. Um, fresh, we had to do it with the head coach, and now we have to do it with the defensive coordinator.
0: Yeah, and there's going to be some changes to just the style of play that we have, and that comes into play especially up front, but also in the back end because I think Ham is going to want to go with some more zone in the back, uh, more nickel and dime packages, and I. Up front with Tierlink, there's gonna be a different strategy. It's not gonna be the typical Charlie Wiles style that we've seen. And French put out a great article on that back in June, just about the new D-line approach and what we should expect from Tierlink. And the key to what the article kind of said was Tierlink likes to utilize undersized and explosive three technique DTs paired with bigger twitchy nose tackles that's in the middle and a three technique defensive tackle for those that don't know just means that the defensive tackle lines up on the outside shoulder of the guard and the nose tackle obviously lines up over the center. So that doesn't work for all of our personnel, but I think Crawford Kendricks and Pollard fit that really well, a defensive tackle for that, that type of system. Hewitt is the guy that has been a great leader for this team Obviously is skilled and has been pretty good, but, uh, going forward, I, I think he's, his style is just not what this defense is going to be all about. You're going to see Kendrickson Pollard kind of emerge and and we'll get into that when we get to the D line. As for the DNs and tier link system, they, it's all about getting after the quarterback. And mm-hmm. he usually, if you look at the Bills stuff, and this is all from French's article. So I'm, I want to give credit, uh, all four defenders utilize a sprinter stance, or at least they have in the past in a, in a tier link system. So we'll see if we see that with the Hokies. Uh, and there's a big emphasis on getting off the ball. And you've seen in the recruiting, we've been signing a bunch of big DNs with wingspan that can drive the pocket. And that's where Reed, Bryant, Wooten, and Beatles have come in.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's, and I think where we're going to see it most is if in the Bud Foster defense and probably the best example that I can think of, you know, in, in the more recent history was the way that we used Kyle Fuller at times coming off of the edge, you know, kind of that misdirection. You don't know where the rush is going to come from here. The rush is going to be coming from right up in front and center, right? Getting Mm -hmm. that pressure, getting that push, using your DNs, not as much, um, not not gimmetry, but not as much um, kind of hiding what you're trying to do, um, and and not knowing who's going to be coming in, who's going to rush. Which was one of the beauties of what Bud um, had in his defense. It's just a different style. I think it's going to be exciting. I think you know one of the frustrations that you know I always had in watching some of the later Bud Foster defenses was that lack of pressure. So um, I'm excited to see it go that direction. Whether to your point the recruits all seem to um, fit that mold. So it may take some more time to develop. And right now we're adapting what we have. I think it's good that they fit that system for the most part of, and can make it happen, but they weren't recruited necessarily to, for, for this particular system. So that may take some time to play out.
0: Yeah. I think it'll take a little bit of time, but uh, Reed is, 63270 or something so he yep. already kind of will fit for this year and will get us through and I think I think Crawford is honestly good so in the future Fuga I think will develop perfectly into the nose and the other two guys I think are going to be awesome and we'll expand on that in a little bit defense overall I think the talent and the depth are there for this to be an elite group for us this year the side of the ball could be seriously be elite but it depends on three things and my three things were whoever the number two corner is and how good they are the safety whip development because we need to develop at that position and generating more pass rush and that's kind of just what we went over is we could not the last two years the pass rush getting sacks from specifically d lineman has been severely lacking and yeah. so that has to improve this year.
1: No, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, yeah, if you look at the sack numbers, you know, Ashby and Connor had as many sacks as you know Belmar, Crawford, and Hewitt. I mean, uh, it's it's coming from it's coming more from the linebackers. Absolutely. Um, so I want to see it just like you alluded to. I want to see it coming from from the D line.
0: Let's start going over these position groups, and we'll do a beer break after we get through the DBs here. I think the DBs could be good this year. We need more from the safeties, as I just talked about. Our key losses were Farley, Floyd, and Ladler. If you'll remember, Ladler transferred. Uh, he had been passed up uh, by Chamari Connor at, at-, at Whip. Uh, but nevertheless, it is a depth loss. So uh, those are the three guys we lost. And a key note with the defensive backs this year, there is no more rover <laughs> safety. <laughs> it is the boundary safety is what it's called now.
1: Uh, yes. Uh, uh, we'll all have to get accustomed to the, the new name that we've we've used for years. I think we will be good with Devin Hunter and Divine Diablo, obviously
0: bringing back both guys with experience. And Connor we're going to talk about with the linebackers but he's kind of a kind of a third safety play in the whip position, and, and we'll get to him. Diablo was second on the team, eighty-four tackles, forty-two solo. He had that sweet fumble return versus Notre Dame. He had an interception and four and a half tackles for loss from from your free safety is pretty nice. Hunter made the two starts, uh UNC. He had eight tackles in that game, and he started the Notre Dame game as well. And he's played in a surprising twenty-seven games at Tech. Can you believe that? Mostly on special teams, but I, I was shocked when I was going through his his bio that he's played in twenty-seven games. That this should be the year that he breaks out.
1: I know we've been saying that for a while. Ever since, <laughs> the, ever since all of the hype around him getting recruited, we've been we've been waiting. But um, he's in he's in a real position of need. I mean, he's the guy at the position now. He's he's gonna be the starter. I think, you know, he's got tons of experience under his belt. All those were not starts, but you know, he's been on the field enough. He's matured enough. I think this is a, a good time. And he's got Diablo back there with him who, you know, he had his own kind of struggles and in developing into that position and then really started to turn it on and um, over time, so I think between the two of them, um, they probably have had a lot to teach teach each other, and and I think we have a, a it's it's not our strongest position by no. by far, and so I do have concerns there, and it really depends on how they how they've developed in the off season if Diablo can build on what he was really doing um, doing last year towards the end of the year, but we'll we'll see. It's
0: a low floor, high ceiling position. You know because they they could be a disaster or they could play at their highest level and be incredible and take this defense over the top. Diablo is a fantastic player sometimes. Yeah. he just needs to be more consistent. he his lack of consistency is infuriating because I, I swear you'll watch half a game and you're like, "What is wrong with this guy?" And then he'll do that fumble return and make a great play or something. And you're like, Okay, he's totally redeemed himself. But yeah, it, it's it's really weird with him, uh, and I've just been let down because he has he had so much hype. He he's huge. He looks like the mannequin you put the jersey on. You know what I mean? He's just like built, and he does make some great plays, um, but he has never put it all together for a yeah. whole year. Yeah. And so, then there's
1: other plays yeah. that he's five yards out of position and it's mm-hmm. just, you're, you're like, where, where is he? What, what is What is he doing? Right. <laughs> so, um, but, and then other times he looks phenomenal. So that I'm hoping is where, you know, he keeps those great plays in place and then really just develops on that consistency because if he, if he's consistent and even marginally more consistent than he was mm-hmm. last year, then he'll be really, really solid for us this year
0: the word on Hunter is that he has been looking good in camp and we know that he can hit. It's, it's all about his coverage skills and just, I, again, being in the right position. And this is going to be a big test for Hamilton because he's still coaching those safeties they, he was the safeties and whips coach last year. And yep. Reggie Floyd didn't really get better. And yeah. Diablo, like we said, has been inconsistent. So ham has something to prove here too. Uh, can he actually coach these guys who we know have talent and we know have physical gifts into being as good as they should be. And yep. so I'm looking forward to seeing these guys play. Like I said, the ceiling is high. So I I'm hoping we can get close to that high ceiling as for the backups, Tyree Rogers. That's a good solid backup at free safety and uh redshirt freshman, J.R. Walker is the boundary backup, but I think he's the free safety of the future. Uh, but I think he can play both positions. So we've got some nice depth. Uh and Keonta Jenkins, the true freshman, was making some waves in camp as well.
1: I think guys like that are going to be more likely, um, especially with the free year of eligibility, are more likely to see the field. That's one of the keys, I think, for that's a for great point. player. So um I wouldn't be surprised if maybe it's garbage time, whatever it is, um, to see, see those Jenkins guys out, out there. Yeah. To, to see people out there, to, to give them experience. I mean, you might as well take it, take advantage of that, of that for a year.
0: Let's move over to cornerback with Farley gone. Cornerback's definitely more of a concern, uh, but it's in a far better place than it was a year ago. When you think where we were coming off of with the corners from 2018, Waller really needs to step into the number one role uh, that obviously needs to take place. And I think he will. I tweeted out from the Too deep account, uh, all of the PFF stats from pro football focus about how good Waller was. And he, his coverage grades were incredible. He forced incompletions 31% of the time. That was number one in college football. Uh, and it's hard to say because I don't think they necessarily rate the quarterbacks that you're facing, but nevertheless, Far Waller has a a lot of potential. The coaches love him. Going into last year, they said, you know, we're not sure who's number 1. Like it, I think Ham even said it, it would be a good guess to say Farley's number 1, but uh, you know, we don't know. So that that shows you how good Waller is. They think he he was it was 1A and 1B. Yeah. And so I think he can be the number 1. It's who will be number 2. And and the candidates there, we we have some good guys.
1: Yeah, I think it really you know, Waller had between Waller and and Farley you know you had both of them back there so i think it benefited you know both of them that you you really didn't have you know your top cornerback and then you could kind of pick on the other guy i mean you really were put in a tough spot as a cornerback to to throw out there now Waller is out there he's the guy um he doesn't necessarily as we know it right now have somebody to the to the talent level of Farley on the other side and that's where I think you know Taylor may come into play the transfer from Illinois State seems like he could be the guy has experience on the field Um, and I I really think Waller's production this year is really going to depend on CB2 whoever that other person is I think is going to really dictate what the upside is for Waller because I mean Waller would have been an elite cornerback and been talked about, you know, not as much, but a lot, if it wasn't for the fact that Farley was just so, so, yeah. so good. I mean, that's, so
0: athletic and so, and so fast and all that yeah. kind of thing. Just a little bit more flash from him. But yeah, I, I agree. Like if Waller was the only, was the top corner last year, whoever was second would have been getting picked on a ton, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the candidates, other than Taylor, are Brian Murray and Armani Chapman. And Chapman got to play a lot last year. He played in 13 games, actually. Registered 22 tackles, two pass breakups. Uh, he even wore the number 25 versus Notre Dame and posted five tackles. I like Chapman's potential. Uh, I And I think when the year starts, he will be the starting corner opposite Waller. I think Taylor will end up being the starting corner. And... and Maybe that's mistaken. But the third guy in the mix is Brian Murray. Uh, and he ended up playing 11 games with one start last year and made an interception in the bowl game. He's going to be the nickel, though. So, like, if you were just looking at a starting defense, yes, Murray could end up being opposite Waller, but I think they like him at nickel. So it's going to be one of Chapman or Taylor. And so I'm going to give Chapman the edge in the beginning of the year just because Taylor not Basically, just got the tech yep. and and needs to learn the playbook and and whatever else. But um, I think Taylor will ultimately be the guy, and I feel confident he can play. He he can he plays at a very high level, so um, I'm excited about that. I, I'm not nearly as concerned about cornerback as I was going into last year, and it ended up being awesome. So yep. um, we'll, we'll see what happens for depth. We have Nadir Thompson. Nike Hawkins and Dorian strong and the true freshman, And from what I was hearing out of camp strong was, was making an impression early as well.
1: Yeah. Then again, I think we'll hopefully we won't have to dig, dig, dig too deep, but in this season, we just don't know what's going to end up happening. So um, you never know who's going to end up seeing this, seeing the field or who's going to have to sit out a game or two. So, um, you know, hopefully those guys are <laughs> yeah. getting up to speed quick.
0: Absolutely. Let's take a quick beer break before we move on to linebacker. Robbie, what are you drinking over there?
1: So I said I'm going non-alcoholic again this week. It's an athletic brewing company. It's called Run Wild, non-athletic alcoholic uh, IPA. This one is, it's almost got kind of a, they're kind of pitching it towards like the, hence the name, like the athletes, like people that want to be able to drink but still, you know, work out a lot and don't want it to have to impact their performance or be hung over or want to have beers after they after they work out. And then they two percent of all the sales go back to restoring local trails. So hence the whole kind of theme around athletic uh, brewery, yes. Yeah, yes, around that. And it is um can't find where it is made out of but I'll, I'll try and look for it but it's it's good it's it's not great it's kind of um oh san diego california i i like that it makes sense yeah yeah exactly and um I, I would put it as my number two kind of of the non-alcoholic ipas that i've i've, I've been able to find
0: that's just so, it's so weird to hear non-alcoholic IPA. Like, yeah. that, it almost, like, doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually was watching the Phil's game the other night, and right behind home plate, they had a Budweiser Zero sign. And I was like, <laughs> what the heck is Budweiser Zero? And then I was like, oh, of course, it's non-alcoholic. Like, it is, if Budweiser's making it, you know it's a trend. <laughs> yes,
1: it's, it's certainly a trend for, for weekday drinkers. I, I think it's a, a good way to I, go.
0: I did confirm with you though you will be able to drink by the opener.
1: Yes, yes, I will be. I will be in a position to have alcohol for that. Hopefully, I won't need it. Uh, I mean, if I <laughs> usually that's not usually that's not a good sign. Uh, depending on how much I have to drink, but yes, by the opener, I will be consuming uh, real alcoholic beer. I'll probably after this stint have to like ease up i won't be able to go like right into the like seven and a half eight and a half uh yeah i would stay away from those yeah double (laughs) pounders because my tolerance has probably plummeted so i'll have instead of being able to polish off a bunch of those i'd get through two and i'll be sending out crazy tweets and people will be (laughs) yelling at me the uh
0: the uva game actually i forgot to mention this in the news and notes that's gonna be on abc that came out today is that that game will be either at 330 or 730 on ABC, uh, our big matchup against Virginia. So uh that's that's pretty cool. And it, it makes sense. There's there's only nine P5 games that day. So yep. that's certainly one of the best of those nine games. So I I'm excited about that. Yep. I am drinking Yinling Oktoberfest. And pardon me if I've had it on the podcast before, I probably have. But I went out and bought some po- Oktoberfests. I got this one. I also got the Polliner, which is a German, which I, I love, the uh, the German Oktoberfests. Uh but this Yinling, while well, an American beer, is in the German Mars and style, and it is very tasty. I, I'm a, you know how much I love the Oktoberfest and the pumpkin beers, and so it's September 1st. Uh, I'm go- <laughs> I'm going for uh, the Oktoberfest, man. And it's it is really good. And the nice thing about Yinling is it's cheap. Like it, it essentially comes out of the faucets up here. I don't know if you knew that, but <laughs> yes. but but lager is everywhere. And the Oktoberfest, I think I paid eight ninety-nine for a six-pack, which doesn't sound cheap, but like if you're looking at craft beers, like they all cost ten, eleven, twelve bucks a six pack. So more than that. So they've yeah. gotten
1: up to like fourteen bucks now. I will say yeah. all all of the non-alcoholic beers come in. At like nine ninety nine, that's the price. So, to get your alcohol free beer, you're saving probably two to five bucks. Uh, I would say on <laughs> on average is, is that's because you're uh, drinking
0: beer flavored water. <laughs>
1: that's that's right. Or uh, yeah, hop flavored uh, water is definitely what it it is right here. So let's move on to the linebackers. We have lots of
0: experience, lots of depth at this group. I think it's the best group on the defense. Uh, if you want to start, since I kind of started the last one, why don't you go ahead?
1: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to start at Mike with our boy, Richard Ashby. Uh, absolutely amazing year last year. I uh, have to. I think he made ACC Player of the Week, what was it, the first three weeks? He may have made yeah, it. It was
0: it was like five times overall, right?
1: Yeah, five times. and I think he made it the first three weeks uh, in a row. Led the team in solo total tackles, 17 tackles for a loss, five sacks and three forced fumbles. I mean, he just had an absolute beast year. and 17
0: tackles for loss is ridiculous. Yeah, I, yeah,
1: I can't even believe that. I, I imagine, to our point that we were just discussing and what it's going to look like this year with the new defense— that number is probably going to come down and I would hope it's uh, increasing a lot more for the D line, but Mm -hmm. um, pretty incredible what, um, what he was able to pull off. So I think, I think it has to start with him, but I think there's, there's plenty more talk to talk about it backer and whip as well.
0: Yeah. Dax is going to be the starting backer. At least that's what I think right now. And I love Dax's energy. We both love his passion. He's certainly a leader on this team. And he should take even more of a leadership role this year now that he's an upperclassman. He's a true junior. 68 tackles for Dax last year, which was tied for fourth on the team Four and a half tackles for loss, two sacks, nine hurries, which I thought was pretty nice, and he had three picks. And Dax's picks weren't exactly the, the most athletic plays in the world. He was kind of just like Johnny on the spot for yeah. some of those. It was like a fielding a fly ball, yeah, but, uh, the but still in
1: the air that just happen. yeah go <laughs> you know, right next and right to him. But he
0: still made them, you yes. know. And the one I think against Notre Dame, like hit him right in the stomach, like <laughs> like a line drive or something. But uh, he did have a forced fumble as well, and he improved throughout the year, I thought, because in the beginning of the year, there were some plays against ODU where it just looked like he was going backwards and, yeah. and not playing well, and he got better and better, I thought, as the year went on. Backing him up and kind of spelling him at times is Alan Tisdale, and, and Tisdale was one of those guys that was compared to Xavier D.B. by Bud early on. He's shown brilliance at times. Uh, even shown his lunch at times. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when he when was he threw up puking on now. the field against Miami. Uh, but he can play. He He's a more natural fit at backer than Dax is. And that's what everyone can see. Um, but he does lack discipline at times playing that position. Uh, but, but still put up numbers. 52 tackles, five and a half tackles for loss, three sacks, and three pass breakups. And that's, what he can give you is a little bit more coverage, a little bit more speed, a little bit more length, and and that more natural fit. Uh, I think Tisdale will eventually surpass Dax on the field, uh, but not right away, uh, especially because of the offseason we've had. Uh, Dax will be the starter, and I love Dax, but he's... Dax was built to be a Mike. He just he just was. It's unfortunate and, and also not unfortunate that we have someone who is a tackling machine already at Mike.
1: Yeah, and the problem that Dax had early on in the season and it did get better we talked about it a lot last year was just bad angles of pursuit. You know, he was he was coming in at the wrong angle, missing tackles that way, you know, trying to catch people's ankles instead of getting, you know, on their body. And that's tough, and that's gonna be even tougher if we if we do execute on this plan to really have this upfront push and we're spilling stuff to the outside, it becomes even more imperative for the linebackers to be on point um to make those tackles um you know outside um so that that hopefully in the offseason, after it did improve during the during the season last year has only continued to improve otherwise. I could see exactly what you're saying, in Tisdale, eventually, you know, taking over that spot because he he's a tackling machine, and he's got the speed. He can get there, and he can make those tackles, and and help with um you know the contain on the outside.
0: Yeah, one guy that we're not going to talk a lot about right now is Amari Barno because he was playing at backer a bit last year when he first came in as a JUCO, uh, but Barno is now more moved to defensive end. So whether it's backer or DN that he plays, Barno's job is going to be getting after the quarterback. So as a traditional linebacker, uh, you know, catching the spills, as you would say, uh, that's, that's not really what Barno's going to be doing, I don't think, right now. He's going to be a defensive end, and his job is going to be pass rushing mostly. Let's talk about Whip and, and Tamari Connor because this is he could really take over and, and be the X factor for this defense.
1: Yeah, and he he was. Um, you know, even last year, I mean, ten tackles for a loss, it's a lot, five and a half uh, sacks. I mean, he already showed the ability at a forced fumble, fourth on the team in in total tackles. Um, and that was with taking over a position, like you said, from from Ladler. So with with this full season coming up and development in the off season, uh, I think you know, he really rounds out this group of and I know we threw him in with the linebackers but that trio i think is extremely strong with kind of a rock in ashby and then connor um you know probably equally as comfortable with wherever we need him in that position really really sets us up for probably one of the best if not the best position groups i think we have on the field up there with offensive line
0: that 10 tackle for loss number is is very impressive and The reason I think he's the key is when you look back at the good Virginia Tech defenses, guys like Xavier D.B. and Kyle Fuller, Cody Grimm, they were just everywhere all the time. Like a Troy Palamalu type who's just like, is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? I have no idea. He's just making play after play. That's what Chamari Connor's upside is, is a guy like Troy Palamalu or Kyle Fuller on this defense and... I think he's going to get there this year. And if he is as good as he can be, and and that even means sometimes he will fill in for Devin Hunter and they'll bring Brian Murray on to play nickel and move him back into safety. I just don't think you want to take Chamari Connor off the field that much because he's that good.
1: Yeah, and usually guys that are like that, you have to be really, really smart from, an, from a football smart and understanding, reading the quarterback, understanding where the ball is going to go looking at the setup of the offense to get a read on that, to put yourself in a position to, to be all over the field. You can't just, you know, sporadically just try and be everywhere at once. You have to also, there's a lot of um, methodical thought that has to go into it. And an, an immediate analysis at the line of scrimmage of where the ball is going to be going to put yourself in that kind of position to to be that guy that you're looking around going, how how is he always there?
0: Yeah. And and that's what Bud always used to say. The head has to catch up with the feet because Connor absolutely has the feet, and now that he's uh, what I'm looking at here, a true junior, like the it, he should put all the pieces to this game together. And I I'm just really looking forward to him and um, him and Diablo's development. Th- those two in particular, I think, are just so key to what we do behind the front four. I agree. So let's talk about those front four. Bringing just about everyone back on the line. Uh, that obviously doesn't include Garbit, which we've mentioned a few times now. And we did lose Javon Beckton. He's no longer with the team, but he didn't really play. So with bringing all those guys back, after all the changeover we went through last year, we should have a huge leg up. But with the new system and the fact that we didn't generate a lot of pressure, there's still a lot of questions at this position.
1: Yeah, I think... Um... You know, it's it's going to end up. I I feel you know if I have to look at the DTs versus the DNs, I feel a lot more comfortable. Um, interestingly, with the the defensive ends and and what we're bringing out on the field this year, than I do at the defensive tackle spot. Um, just with that change in particular to the to the scheme, I I really like Crawford. I really like Hewitt. Um, you know, six and a half tackles for a loss, six for the other you know, seven and a half combined sacks between the two of them, uh, last season. But, you know, that defensive tackle is taking on a whole new life. I think in this, in this new scheme that I think is going to be more difficult for them, maybe to pick up than it will be for Belmar, um, and Reed, who we brought in from, from Youngstown state, assuming, you know, those are, those are the four.
0: And we've had this conversation before. I just feel the exact opposite from you. Like I, (laughs) I, I feel so much more comfortable with the defensive tackles than I do at end. I have a lot of concern at end. I, I think Hewitt's a solid player. I love Deshaun Crawford. I think he we lucked out big time bringing him in and having him as effective as he was right away because he he stepped in from Juco and was a starter for us, and we would have been in a bad way if, if he wasn't as good as he was. Uh, very impressive year last year. They both, him and Hewitt had like, virtually identical numbers with it yeah. with the six tackles for loss and four sacks. Uh but behind them, the true the two true freshmen last year, Mario Kendricks and Narell Pollard, they were fantastic for freshmen. I, I expect both of those guys to be perfect for this defensive line going forward. Uh will they make a jump is is the question. I, I think they will. I love Pollard's like his energy and just, yeah. like, his quickness, I, there's something about him I really like. And to me, Mar- Mario Kendricks is just, like, he's one of those tough dudes. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. It just the way he plays reminds me of Luther Maddy or something. He's just, like, a tough dude inside. So those two kids, I mean, Crawford's going to start, I think, all year. But it wouldn't surprise me to see uh, one of those kids jumping in front of Hewitt at some point.
1: Yeah, and then Pollard, that energy, I mean— he was i remember you know after after every play he was jumping up like explosive Dancing, like yeah. yeah he was there is a lot of energy with that guy so and i think he gets the team pumped up so i i i definitely Absolutely. agree with your your thoughts there behind them
0: we've got fuga and philpot max philpot who is still a walk on as far as i know uh, they round out the depth uh, but they'll both be factors down the road i think philpot was I think he's a preferred walk on, but he's good and and Fuga, as we were talking about earlier, I think he'll be a perfect fit for nose tackle in a year or two. We'll see.
1: yep,
0: let's move to the ends the guys who you feel more comfortable with, that's Belmore and Justice Reed. We talked about Reed's size. Those two are the clear cut starters. Uh, but behind them, there's there's still a lot of question marks. Uh, Eli Adams, Jalen Griffin. They both have a chance to make an impact, and Eli is one of those kids that we've been kind of waiting to break out because he was earmarked early. Uh, what do you, what do you like about these defensive ends? What what am I missing?
1: I, I me, it's just the for me. It's I think it's just the scheme change. I just I think there's a little bit less if the if the pressure isn't coming up front, and we don't have that push that we're looking to get that we've been lacking, quite frankly. Um, you can still make it up for it on the end, as long as you're taking and you have, you know, the right, you know, if you have speed, if you have long arms like Reed does, if you can shake off tackles, you can still kind of do some damage. For me, it's not so much the players as it is, you know, the change in what we're trying to do up front. I think it's just going to be easier for those guys to, to adapt to the system than maybe what we're trying to do with the, at the tackles. But, you know, so if I had to guess, you know, I would say the overall talent I would agree with you at tackle is probably above that on defensive end. I just think the defensive ends are going to have an easier time getting up to speed with what they need to do, or at least it's going to be less visible in watching the game with, you know, if we're getting stuffed right up the middle and we're not getting any pressure and we're, you know, that's kind of part of the, you know, the thesis here, it's going to be pretty obvious. It's going to jump off the screen. So that's that's probably where my head's shaking out, but I would I would probably lean towards the talent at the DT spot. I'm just not sure how it's going to shake out on the field.
0: Well, I will say Justice Reed should be the real deal. This the, He's huge, and the stats he put up at Youngstown State were amazing. 19 tackles for loss for him, 13 sacks last year. So he's a huge boost. And think about if we didn't have him now that garbett's out. I mean, yeah. thank God. Thank goodness we got him. So he could be this year's Deshaun Crawford. Comes in immediately as a starter and hopefully balls out. Because that, that's what we really need him to do that. Hey, Belmar, great effort guy. Uh, great, you know, like, just like kind of keeping the status quo. But, like, he doesn't, he's not dynamic you know what I mean? Yeah. Reed has a chance to really get after the quarterback. And, and I do understand what you're saying with the scheme change. It will affect the defensive tackles more than it'll de- affect the defensive ends. And so I, I agree with you there. Uh, the one wild card, of course, is Amari Barno, who we mentioned about with the backers, but they moved him to def- defensive end, and everyone mainly loves him because he's enormous and he's fast. <laughs> he's six foot <laughs> six. And hopefully he's found a home at defensive end. Uh, I think he could be one of those stand-up hybrid kind of guys where we either like do four linebackers, like a four linebacker look with three down men, or maybe he gets in a stance too. But you get the idea. Someone that we can kind of play with, keep the offense on their toes because that's what UVA does. They they run a lot of three man, and then they got Snowden coming off the side. And it's just like I don't know what's happening here from the defense, and that's what I want to use with Barno. I want to make, I want to keep the offense guessing, essentially.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. And yeah, I mean he's a, he's a big guy, and he, and he's quick, so uh, he could do a lot of damage. That's for sure, in a lot of different ways.
0: Yeah, it, it's it would be just great if he could get after the quarterback with his long ass arms. That would that's that's <laughs> that's all we we want him to do. Uh, as for the reserves, we've got Zion Debose. We're He's kind of been waiting for his shot. Will the light come on for him? But the freshmen are very intriguing. You've got Robert Wooten, who's every time we hear about camp, you kind of hear about Wooten. He could absolutely enter this too deep because until Eli Adams or Jalen Griffin prove otherwise, like why couldn't Robert Wooten jump in there? Uh, physically, he does not look like a freshman. He's six foot three, 230. Alec Bryant, also huge. Beatles six five two thirty, and then Daryl Bailey Jr., who will probably be an offensive lineman at some point, six six two
1: fifty five. So there's some
0: very big options at defensive end.
1: That's that's right. So yeah, we're having there'll be some people that we can throw in there if we're having uh, trouble um, uh, moving uh, moving our pass rush. It it
0: is curious though. You said that thing about there being no eligibility problems. So normally these guys that would be headed for a red shirt one, they'd still get four games, but now they can get all the games. Yep. So you don't have to worry about burning them up and maybe we'll see Beatles or Bailey or Brian in some of those games.
1: Yeah, I'd agree.
0: Let's move to special teams. We're going to do special teams. Then we'll give our overall thoughts on the defense last year, special teams was number 28 in the S and P plus. But this year, I think they're going to move into the top 10. And and that's some of which is uh, less teams. But I also <laughs> think they're going to make a big improvement. Just think about the more veteran guys we have on the team. A more veteran team equals more veterans on special teams yep. and guys that know how to do blocks, know how to get into coverage, all that kind of thing. And then you look at our returners, and it's no longer Keyshawn King as a freshman, you know. Keyshawn King, the number one guy, kick returner right now, he has experience. Blackshear and Herbert, older players, they have experience. Those are going to be your kick returners. And punt returner, Tavion Robinson, already impressed me a ton as a true freshman. I can't wait to see him do it for a full year this year.
1: Yeah, and the special teams could take on a lot of different styles. One, more veteran team. You can have more veteran guys out there the free year of eligibility you can, you can have guys out there um, that may be young, but athletic and you know that they can do it as a, you know, a gunner or whatever the case may be. Somebody that you would say, Hey, we can't put him in, you know, for more than four games, but if he's good and he's got speed and he can tackle or he can get downfield, or, you know, he can make blocks. We can have people out there that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise.
0: Yeah. I, I wanted to point out that when we had Tavion Robinson returning kicks instead of Grimsley, we went from less than 5 yards per punt return to 14 yards per punt return. So it was just about triple the returns uh, when, when Tavion was out there. And it was so evident, Grimsley couldn't even catch the return last year. So having Tavion or... Whether because the other guys working out there, it's it's Herbert, it's Blackshear, it's Hodge, and it's Trey Turner, and, and you'll and a lot of that is some of its shore hands like Hodge and Turner, like you're just looking for shore hands there, but uh, any of those guys mm-hmm. will be better than Hezekiah Grimsley, and I, and I'm not trying to rag on him. It's just he he wasn't mentally suited for doing punt returns.
1: Yeah, there was times he was going backwards. There was the drop balls. He looked spooked at other yes. times. It was. He was not made for, for that position. That's for sure. Let's talk about our kickers. We've got Brian Johnson,
0: senior kicker. That's always nice to have a senior kicker. He tied for 26th nationally last year with 19 field goals made and was 82% on those field goals. However, he didn't miss a field goal in November or December, 12 for 12. And he didn't miss on the road, a perfect nine for nine. He's also made 24 of 24 kicks inside the 40 the last two years. So he is automatic inside the 40 and he even improved his distance last year because he made that 54 yarder at one point. So I feel very confident with Brian Johnson. Hopefully he can get that distance out even a little bit further, but just having a guy you can count on when you get to the 23, 25 yard line, that that is huge. And we have, uh, Romo, the guy who just turned his scholarship as our kickoff specialist.
1: Yep. I think, um, I mean, Brian Johnson was excellent and I, I expect the same, you know, this year. I mean, he's, um, and it was at key times that he, he put, you know, things through the uprights that we really needed. So as a senior, I think he's going to be, you know, hopefully as outstanding, if he just has the same season he did last year, that would be excellent. And if he improves yeah. on that, then, you know, he's going to be t- one of the tops nationally. Speaking of excellence,
0: we have to get last but not least Oscar Bradburn. This this guy was a Ray Guy semifinalist last year, eighth nationally in punt average at 46 and a half yards per punt. He's a boomer, man. And I am so happy to have him for one more year. So we are we are set up at special teams to just kick butt. So there is no reason with James Shabest at the helm. That this shouldn't be a top ten unit with these seventy six teams. I, th- there is no doubt in my mind.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure Oscar can, and hopefully he proves me wrong. Can even improve on what he did last year. I mean, he was so good. I mean, he was just booming punts. And at one point, he was, I think, second in in the league. Yeah, he together. was
0: higher than the eighth. Yeah, at one point, he was he was definitely higher.
1: Yeah, and um, I mean, that's just impressive. I mean those those Australian kickers, man. <laughs> that's right. Okay, so let's go back
0: to the defense and give our overall thoughts here. I think the linebackers will be a steadying force for the defense. Uh, D-line has to get more pressure. We emphasize that. And Diablo has to be more consistent. There will be hiccups early on, without a doubt, uh, due to the new faces and the coaching staff and all that stuff. Um, and even our buddy Joe, he he expressed our concern. He was like, is no one worried about the defense? <laughs> and and we are I guess I'm a little worried, but with Tracy Clays, and I said this on a previous podcast, having someone like Tracy Clays, who's running the linebackers, who's had really good defense at multiple stops in college football, just makes me feel better about having a very young defensive coordinator in Hamilton. So you can have your energy guy, you can have your young star but in case he struggles at times, you do have the savvy veteran coach, and that makes me feel good about the whole thing.
1: Yeah, and at the at our strongest position as well, in terms of what we have. So, um, Tracy Clay is coaching those linebackers. I think can help make up for faults maybe in other portions, not all of them, but for some of the the mishaps that maybe happen in uh, up front or in the secondary. So, I think that's that's key. Um, and his ability, he's seen a lot over his tenure. So his ability to adapt to try and help fill maybe some issues around and solve those problems, I think, is really important.
0: We were less of a victim of the big play last year. If you remember back in 2018, we we just gave up so many big plays. We were actually 119th out of 130 teams in 40-yard plays. So we moved up to 80th but there is still room for improvement w- regarding the big play. Um, we were 39th in defensive S&P Plus last year, 46th in scoring D. I, I think both of those numbers should come down uh, towards the top 25 in a normal year. And this year, I-, I honestly think this should be a top 15 defense, both in yards per play and S&P Plus. Is that being unreasonable, or do you think that's right?
1: uh, uh it's tough to tell. I mean the the coaching staff change, it does give me some concern. I think I think one thing I'm p- more certain of saying is I think that that the longer plays are going to come down dramatically. Those longs, I mean Bud Foster was well known and we talked about it for years that he wanted to you know always have the extra hitter was, you know, one of the common themes and you know, he wanted to really kind of you know, shorten up the field, keep it a, a generally in front Break, of him. Break but, but not bend? Yeah, exactly. It's, that was like he
0: would, he would more likely give up the big play yeah. than give up, like, a goal line stand.
1: Yeah, he would rather have 19 plays that go for one yard or a yard and a half mm-hmm. and then a 40-yard or 50-yard play than the other way around. I think we're going to see a defense that's more focused on bigger small chunks here, you know, but hopefully is it brings up. Now we'll come the with the more of, zone uh, coverage. Yep. So I think I think that's one change, which th- honestly might be a little bit frustrating at times. if you're watching that series of twenty plays, you might be a little bit more frustrated on the nineteen, right? Than you <laughs> then, then than you would be otherwise. Um, but at least you're not throwing your moat through the T V on the uh the forty yard play. Yeah, I'm not
0: trying to overlook the changes to the staff because we didn't have a spring. But think about all the teams out there that changed their coaches, lost 50% of their team, and had no spring. Like At least we didn't do that. uh, Some of the coaches are the same, for one, on the defense. And for another, we didn't lose 50% of the team. So uh, we have everything going for us to do well with this transition. And with COVID. Uh, But it doesn't mean that there won't be issues.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: So I have a couple of questions for you. And maybe we should do uh, another beer. Do you have another beer that you're drinking? I do. All right, why don't you tell me about it?
1: This one's going to be short because it's really, really bad. Um, So (laughs) this is Partake Brewing. It's just called IPA. Non-alcoholic. I had two top IPAs that I've been kind of swapping in and out. I just recently, I think the Brooklyn Brewery one was is new because it just hit the shelves recently. It's awesome. I'll have it on the next podcast uh for a non-alcoholic beer. And this is just not very good. This this is the epitome of water with like some hops thrown into it. It <laughs> is um it's difficult to put down.
0: I got you. Don't go for the partake. I hear Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. I am drinking the Polliner, as I said earlier. The Polliner Oktoberfest. This one's a little bit more malty than the yinling, uh, but I prefer it uh, just because it's your traditional German uh, Oktoberfest, which is, uh, for the most part, I've tried a lot of them. They're all very, very good. This one is one of my favorites. Polliner Oktoberfest Marsen. All right, so I wanted to ask you about the over-under on points per game from this defense. As I said just a minute ago, we were 46th nationally at 24.7 points per game given up. I'm going to put the over-under at
1: 20.5. Do you think? I'm taking the over. Okay. So I I hate to be the Debbie Downer here, but I'm going over the 20.5 points. I could see it being around the 24 that we had last year. Um which wouldn't be would certainly not be great and not that much of a step in the right direction I think that that you might be foreseeing. I'm just I'm just a little bit more conservative right now with with what the changes are in the coaching staff and I got to see it play out for a game or two to really have my arms around it and I'm hoping to be pleasantly surprised and and have it look seamless but for for right now what I'm looking at I'm going to take the over on the 28.5,
0: And maybe this 20 and a half is is a little too ambitious. Now that I'm thinking about it, now that I'm thinking about the quarterbacks we're going to be facing, perhaps it is too ambitious. But we moved from 31 points per game in 2018 to 24.7 in 2019. So that, I mean, that's a massive jump. That's six points. Yep. Could we make a three-point jump this year? we we could yeah. um so that would be about twenty one and a half uh i'm gonna take the over two I probably should have moved this line a little bit, but i think when I was writing this up, I was very excited, but nevertheless i i do see the ceiling of this defense is twenty points per game like mm-hmm. that that is where we could get to i think they could be that good it just that means
1: everything came together very very well. I'll also just add that, you know, people have talked about the difference between past seasons and this season. And, you know, we have 10, regardless of what you think of ACC teams at the top or the bottom of, of that, 10 ACC caliber games is, is a lot. I mean, it's, it's rough. The, you know, you don't have your cupcakes, you don't have your off week, you know, it, those, yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah. um, it's going to be unique. It's going to take a toll on the guys. Um I think I mean the SEC is going to beat the hell out of each other. That's for sure. But uh in the ACC it's going to be it's going to be tough. You're going up against, you know, good caliber, decent caliber teams every week.
0: I wouldn't say it's way more difficult, but I hear what you're saying. It yep. it's conference games. Every game is very important and um it could lead to more points and et cetera. but I've one other kind of question for you before, before I do a record prediction. Which side of the ball will have the better SP plus rating, our offense or our defense?
1: <laughs> that, that one was tough because our, our offense always seems to trail. I, for the first time, I don't know if we ask this question every year, but maybe we no, do. I don't
0: think we've ever asked it before.
1: I, this If we were to every single other year, I, I guarantee I would have <laughs> right, said defense. That's why we didn't <laughs> ask it. <laughs> so this year I'm actually going to say the offense is gonna have a wow. better so. Um, again, that ties in a little bit to my points per game comments. You know, the, the coaching staff, things like that. Hope I'm I hope I'm dead wrong, but um, that's that's what I'm thinking at the moment.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the defense. Can I go with special teams? Yes, <laughs> you, can, you can. No, I'm gonna go with the defense. I think they're gonna edge out the offense, but I think that's gonna be a very good thing. Because I think the offense will also be as we said, top third, so that means a top twenty five offense, and I'm hoping a top twenty top fifteen defense that's that's what I'm hoping for and i um hopefully I don't have my maroon and orange color glasses on too much. Why don't we get to these record predictions, and maybe we'll determine that
1: There's no divisions this year, so it's uh all or nothing if you will. Uh, you got to be top two in the record. I don't even know if they've come up with the tiebreaker scheme yet or not, but um, I'm wondering what you think the season's going to uh, to be after we've gotten through now the offense and, and the defense.
0: I'm going to go with an eight and three record overall and seven and three in the ACC. So obviously I think we're beating Liberty, but I do think there are three losses sitting out there in the ACC. The likely wins NC State, Duke, BC, Wake, and Liberty. So that's that's five and zero. Likely losses: Clemson. That's the only likely loss that I have. My toss-up games are UVA, UNC, Miami, Louisville, and Pitt. So that's a total of five games. I think we go three and two in those games. And so if you if you give me the toss-ups, I think we come out on the on the winning side more often than not. Um, and that would put us at eight and three. And and yeah, sure, we could lose three and only win two and then and then you're at so I just think that this team is too good to go seven and four. I, I really do. I think we have the best depth that we've had in a long time. We have some of the best skill talent, especially at the running back position we've had in a long time. We have a returning quarterback who we both really believe in for the first time in a long time, eight and three should be the record. What's yours?
1: So I, well, I had us going seven and three because I have a feeling Liberty is going to end up getting canceled, but that's just, that's just my, my thought okay. so that would, so you could call that eight and three. Um, it, it, so same place. So I had losses against Clemson and UNC UNC being in Chapel Hill. And then I have, my swing games for me and my thought are Louisville and Miami. Um, so I I I hear people starting to get pumped up about Pitt and you know what they're gonna do this season, but I didn't consider that. So those were my my swing games. Um I could see us losing either one um or two of those. I'm I think we're gonna win one and potentially lose one. So you have a loss against Clemson and then unc and then either louisville or or miami i think miami really just depends on on what happens with the quarterback position and you know the hype that's going on down there so miami
0: could be so good or they could be a disaster yeah <laughs> and that's every miami team for a decade
1: <laughs> it's it's gotten longer than that <laughs>
0: yeah so i i i'm i'm with you man um we're on the same page. Then we both think seven and three ACC record.
1: Yes, and yeah, eight and three overall. If that Liberty game, you know, holds holds true.
0: Yeah, uh, it's just such a big test for Fuente. We talked about Ham's test, but managing this season and all the crap that could happen, and losing players for some games, and having to adjust, being flexible. Fuente has talked about being flexible, and his coaching prowess will really show up this year. I think – and that will happen across the country. Like the good coaches will shine and the micromanagers and the poor coaches, the guys who are too rigid, they will fail. And so I, I'm i hoping that we're on the right side of that. I actually was thinking yesterday like Fuentes is going to do great this season. Like I actually think this suits him well because he's a younger guy – and he learned from mistakes of the last couple of years and things are gonna go right for us this year and I think he's gonna be good and flourish um but <laughs> it's it's so hard to know and, and that's why we're gonna we're gonna learn a lot
1: yeah no I, I totally I totally agree things are gonna be shaken up games are gonna be canceled um, yeah games are gonna be moved you're really gonna to have to players are gonna be out. You're going to have to learn how to swap people in. So, you know, if you had spring ball and you had all of this going on, you might have had more time to figure out what happens if you lose, you know, two defensive ends to COVID and what you're going to do in that situation. Right now, we probably only have enough time just to build the scheme in and get ready for the season, get people in shape and get the, you know, the plays in there you know, unless, unless people are not sleeping, I don't even know how you could get to the point where you're thinking through all the contingencies that would happen. So you're going to have to be able to adapt on the fly. So I do think that that's good for, for a coach like him. I think there are some coaches out there that are really, really going to struggle. And then the top teams aren't going to really care because, you know, Clemson could lose a whole bunch of players and they're going to put somebody in that's still better than the guy that you have on the other side of the ball. That's, uh, that's uh, at least talent wise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think that, you know, those teams will be fine. It's when you get beyond, you know, the top 10 teams, that's where it's really going to shake out. And in the coaching,
0: I would much rather, and this is one of the reasons I'm grateful, much rather be adjusting to new coaches on the defensive side of the ball than on the offensive side of the ball this year. Yeah. I think the offensive side just requires so much more timing and togetherness with the offensive line and chemistry, whereas defense is, I mean, you're chasing, right? Mm-hmm. Like the whole idea is to to pressure and chase the ball, and and some of that's a, and a lot of that is instinctual.
1: <laughs> yeah, I agree.
0: So I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, that we'll be good to go, man. I, I cannot wait for September 19th. When I want to get to that UVA game, take the cup back, and then, uh, like I said earlier, <laughs> who cares what happens with the rest of the season, right?
1: Yes, we, um, we need to get past that, uh, past that game, and get the cup, and then we can all we can all feel good.
0: We hope you enjoyed our season preview this year. We did a little bit different, but it allowed us to focus a little bit more on all the positions. Uh, make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, hit us up on our website or on email. It's 2deepvt.com is the site. 2deepvt at gmail.com is the website. And make sure to follow us on Instagram, follow Downtown Crown on Instagram, and follow Dominion. There are two different accounts. It's Dominion Wine & Beer and Downtown Crown Wine & Beer. Make sure to follow both. I tweeted out both of their handles and their pages just last week, so if you are trying to find it, just go there and, and you'll find their their handles there but uh but yeah man i i think we covered all the things we need to cover i am just ready for the season to start the next two weeks how we do i guess we'll do uva in two weeks next week um i've got some different ideas for what we're gonna do but we have some games that are gonna be being played so we can talk about some lines or or whatever else but uh we'll have to we'll have to discuss that
1: yeah i think we'll we'll come up with something fun I think that's the uh, the best way to get us through one more week before Virginia Tech football. Absolutely, man.
0: All right, guys. So until next time, go Hokies.